Well, again, Merry Christmas to everyone. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, uh, as I've just read this story. I think we all love the stories of Christmas, whether that's a particular movie that you like this time of year, or stories of family traditions, whatever the case may be. Uh, we also love these great Christmas stories from Scripture. And I want to highlight very briefly this morning and consider uh, the story of the wise men and the star and their search for Jesus. So, recognizing that we have no nursery this morning, I'm going to jump right in to this sermon. Uh, here's what I hope that we will see. When Jesus is truly discovered, Jesus is passionately worshipped. So that's the sermon. I'll say a little more, but when Jesus is truly discovered, Jesus is passionately worshipped. So two quick points for us today. First, notice Jesus revealed, and secondly, Jesus worshipped. First, let's walk through the story together of Jesus being revealed. Notice all that God the Father does to make Jesus an issue in the lives of people. What we're going to see as we trace back through the story that we're all familiar with is we're going to see the supernatural work of God in the lives of ordinary people resulting in his praise all related to this Messiah. So you know the scene. It's well known. It's well-loved passage. Jesus, of course, was born in Bethlehem just as the prophet said would happen. The miracle of the virgin birth had happened as recorded in Luke chapter 2. Shepherds came and saw Jesus in the manger, in the stable. The events of Matthew 2 occurred sometime after that, perhaps even up to a year or so later. But a supernatural thing occurred, and it has to do with this star and a particular, peculiar group of people known as these wise men. The star, it wasn't just any star, but Scripture says it was his star, Scholars have tried to determine what this actually was, and there are a lot of interesting theories about it. But the reality is we don't know exactly other than it was ordained by God. It was a supernatural event to show people Jesus. God revealed himself in this fascinating way and caused a group of people to start searching for Jesus. As we'll see, this is a miracle. Who were these people that God revealed this sign? Verse 1, of course, we know them as the wise men. But who on earth were these people actually? Who were the wise men? In other places of Scripture, we see that they are called the magi, of course, related to the word magician. We don't know much about them either. But they were basically what we might call today astrologers or astronomers. These were respected people who were referenced also in the book of Daniel. And they could, quote, read the sky, if you will, and make certain conclusions. And people cared deeply about their opinions based on this unique ability that they had. Uh, they, they, they were mysterious people. They weren't Jewish, but they were very familiar with all that was taking place around them. Note that there were more than three of them. We often refer to the three wise men, but that's a little bit more of a legend. The truth is, it was a large pack of them that traveled. So again, here's the scene this morning. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A supernatural sign appeared in the sky. And these mysterious astrologers saw it. And what did they do? You know what they did. They followed it. They traveled. They left. They don't know where this star is going to take them, but they had studied the sky long enough to understand 
something unusual was happening. And it was related to a king who deserved their worship. They did not understand everything, but they knew that God had revealed something to them. Now, in the story, the plot thickens a bit. Where did these mystery men come from? Verse 1, Scripture says, from the east. Well, where on earth is the east? Again, we don't know exactly, but belief is that it would have been as far away as modern-day Iran or Iraq, something like that. Regardless, notice for the purpose of the story, a trip was required. A long trip, a trip of faith, a journey of faith following a star. The star led these mystery men on a long journey until they came to Jerusalem. Not Bethlehem yet. Think about it. Of all places, why would they go to Jerusalem? It was an odd destination for the star to lead them because Jesus wasn't there. He was in Bethlehem, but yet the star took them to Jerusalem. So it seems clear God the Father had an agenda that was greater than just getting these people to Jesus along the way. They traveled to Jerusalem and because of their unique status of these wise men, they're able to have a conversation with the local leader there. He was curious about these people. He was curious about what was going on. Who was this guy? Verse 1, he was known as Herod. Herod the Great. And he was king of the region and he was put in place by the Romans. Herod was both powerful and he was mean. Particularly, he was famous for all of his construction projects, and he was notorious for being jealous. Herod was not Jewish, but his wife was. So he was familiar with the Jews in Palestine and tolerated by them. And now here he hears about this rival king, and of course, in his jealousy, he is intrigued and he is concerned. There is a threat to his own kingship. And now notice this final act of revelation for us this morning. It's Herod's next action. He doesn't know where the Messiah is. He's curious. So he calls the local Jewish religious leaders, most of them Pharisees, and they provide the answer. They know the prophecy about Jesus, that he's in Bethlehem. And it's good news, it's only about five miles away north of the city. So these wise men resume their quest for Jesus. Herod essentially sends them out as spies to get answers for him. And then look at the story, verses 9 and 10. Look what is back. The star returns. The star that would lead them to Jerusalem now is leading them to Bethlehem, to the exact place where Jesus was living The star led them to Jerusalem to talk with other people, but then left them. And now the star returns to bring them exactly where they are supposed to go. All right, pause here and think of all the details here that are going on in this story. Causes me to think of another passage in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. What we see this morning is that God mysteriously draws people to himself. By his spirit, it is supernatural and it is mysterious. 
I mean, seriously, how did any of us actually get here? Is it not a work of God opening our eyes to see the Savior? Look back at verse 3. All of Jerusalem is now concerned about this king. He's being discussed. Do you see what God has done regarding Jesus? Here we have at this moment a small child inside of an insignificant home in a small town called Bethlehem. And as a result of this supernatural demonstration, we have a group of people traveling for miles. We have a local king who is up in arms. We have a major city concerned. And we have religious leaders demonstrating their expertise on the Messiah's history. And what has Jesus done at this point? Just be a baby. But already the whole world is talking about him. The history of the world really is about the revelation of Jesus. About his story. About his coming. When God opens our eyes to Jesus through his spirit, we will see his majesty. And it creates something inside of us where we must respond. All of us, we must respond to him. So one, we've seen the revelation of Jesus. Secondly, quickly look at their responses to Jesus. I hope you will be encouraged by these wise men this morning. Notice the response to Jesus. I feel like there are three different people or three different people groups, if you will, that represent three different options to respond to Jesus. First, notice King Herod. He had heard about this other king, someone who could win the hearts of the people. Of course, he was jealous. And what did Herod want to do? He said, kill that Jesus. Make him go away. Don't let anyone get in my way. He said in, in, into motion a plan to kill all the boys two years and younger. Basically, he would say, don't let anybody mess with me or my authority. He passionately hates the idea of Jesus. Because for him, Jesus was an authority greater than himself. And he wants nothing to do with him. Perhaps that's your response this morning. Perhaps you want nothing to do with Jesus because you know Jesus has greater authority than you. And he will change your life. So perhaps your response is, just get rid of him. Get him as far away as possible. Or secondly, notice the religious workers of the day. And I find this so sad. Notice the scribes and the priests, these Pharisees of the day. Note. They knew where Jesus was. They were happy to talk about him. They knew the scriptures. They knew that he was in Bethlehem. They could have found him. It's as if they said to the wise men, you're in luck. We know where he is. He's right up the street, only about five miles. You can get there today. Essentially saying to the wise men and to God, we have our lives figured out. We know Jesus is real. We know it's true. But please, he's not going to mess with us. Rather, we'll be right here being good religious people. Their response to Jesus, I know he's real. I know the scriptures. I know the stories. But I'd rather just ignore him in hopes that he would also ignore me. 
think indifference is a good word for them. Essentially, it is, Jesus, don't bother me and I won't bother you. Let's just enjoy our separation and be nice about it. What do these first two responses have in common? Neither of them ever left Jerusalem. They don't go anywhere. They don't pursue. They don't leave. They don't trust. They don't have faith. They just don't want their lives messed with by Jesus. But what about the wise men? What about these strange guys? What about these guys the Lord had opened their eyes and shown them through this mysterious way? What was their response? Put it this way. They basically said, you can't keep me from finding this Jesus. What did they do? They left their homes and didn't know where it was going to take them. They followed a star. They asked questions. They did not know where the star would go. They lived by faith. They trusted the promises. They were used by God even to influence other people. They lived by hope in finding the Lord. That's what they did. When their eyes were opened supernaturally to this Jesus, they could not stay away from him. And then when they got to Jesus, what did they do? Look back at verses 11 and 12. This is what we know so well. We see that they bowed down and worshiped him and they gave him gifts. They bowed down. That is, they recognized his authority. They gave their lives to him. They gave gifts to him. That's what we do in worship. We give gifts of praise to one who is worthy of praise. They gave their best. When Jesus is truly discovered, Jesus is passionately worshiped. They gave these these famous gifts, gold, incense, and myrrh. Gold, knowing Jesus' royal nature. Incense, knowing that Jesus was God and worthy of praise. Myrrh, related for caring for a dead body, knowing that death would be part of Jesus' destiny. Much has been made of these three gifts, and, and I think appropriately so. That could be a sermon for another day. But simply for this morning, let's consider that when Jesus opens your eyes... You giving of your life and giving of your treasures only makes sense. Because it is an honor to give to Jesus. It is an honor to give your life to him. It is a privilege to be counted worthy to be adopted into his family. Again, when Jesus is revealed, Jesus is worshipped. When the real Jesus has been shown to you, you give up your life. You give up your authority, you give up your wealth, you give up your interests, you give up your future, and you follow him because he's worthy, because it is worth it, because he is worth it. The wise men are now different people. They follow the leadership of their great shepherd. They have seen the king and they now follow him. That is our story. As I think about the stories of Christmas and all that we enjoy, I did make the decision this year that Home Alone has now moved into the number one spot in my category of favorite Christmas movies. It was Wonderful Life for several decades. I really got into that in high school, enjoyed it for the last 30 years or so. But now Home Alone has moved there. It's been around 30 years. It takes a time to, to get into the top five. But in the craziness of Home Alone and all that we enjoy about that, It still makes me laugh out loud every year, and I need that. 
But understand this morning the, great, the, the greatness that we love about Home Alone is that there is a search. And there is a search for a special uh, kind of young man. And nothing will keep us from him because the reality is that man, our Lord Jesus, is the one who searches for us. He is the one who finds us. Oh, church, on this Christmas morning, can you accept the passionate love that your heavenly Father has for you? Yes, we talk about the gifts that we give to Jesus, and that is true. But make no mistake this morning, we are receivers. Jesus is our gift. We get him He came for us, and nothing would stop him for coming for us. We have him because he wants us. Church, Merry Christmas. It's true. Amen. Let's pray and prepare our hearts to come around his table to be fed by him again this morning. Lord, what a joy it is. To be here in this place, in this sanctuary, on Christmas morning. What a privilege it is to know you, to serve you, to follow you. Jesus, we thank you that you came for us. We thank you that you opened our eyes to see you. And now, oh God, we continue in our worship of you as you do, as you always do. You care for us. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen.